Hey, good morning, and welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. I'm so glad that all of you are here. Uh, my name is Chris Plegenpole. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so excited about all that we have going on here at Wells Branch Community Church, and we just lost our screens, but that's okay, uh, because that this has been a heck of a morning. You should have seen it this morning. We had power outage flickering on and off all throughout the entire strip center, all the way through CVS. And so um, it was like a health hazard if you had epilepsy. Anyway, so uh, it, was, it was insane, and I'm so grateful that you are all here and things are not completely messed up. Uh, we at least have power. Okay, um, we're in a series called Community, and what the whole emphasis of this is that we're trying to bring the unity back to community, and that is always so very hard. And as we get into this, I want to say that if you have any questions about anything, like you're like, I don't really, you know, community, well, that's crazy. Uh, that's what you Christians do. Please text us at the number on the screen. I would love to answer that in Pastor Plex podcast. We start recording that tomorrow and it comes out Tuesday through Thursday. So would love for you to engage with us there. And one of the things that when I talk about community, um, we have many ways of communicating. We've got all your social media. If you ever try to talk to somebody, you can't get a hold of them by phone. So you go or like by text or you call them and then you go through their entire list of social media things to see where they're at. Anybody else do that? A couple of you. Okay, good. All right. Well, um, one of the ways that people get a hold of me obviously is through text. And so I'll get text messages that essentially are like, you know, Chris, I need to talk to you. Okay. And then it has zero context about what's going on. And then it'll kind of like, I need to talk to you now, or uh, call me or now, 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 now it's all, all, everything is like, I need to have a minute to talk. I need to talk to you right now. Chris, please just call me. Anybody ever get these? All right. This is my life. Okay. As a pastor, it's like, call me. Everybody has an urgent message for me that they need to tell me and they can't text it to me for whatever reason. Okay. And so, um, this gives me anxiety. Just letting you, just sharing that with, if you have, a, if you want to be like, cause I always think I did something wrong. Does anybody else do that? Like someone says, please call me now. You think, oh man, I'm going to the principal's office. I, uh, I must have done something, said something, did something. It is going to be bad. And so that's, so just, just for free, don't give me anxiety and say this. If you want to text me, which is totally fine. Uh, I love this one. I have a minute. To, I had something that brought to my attention that I wanted to mention to you. I'm like, oh, crud. All right. So just call me. All right. And the reason why I resist it, and I'm wondering if this might be something we all experience, is that we have... Um, we resist the unity because it means you have to get vulnerable, which we talked about last week. And therefore, and the reason we don't do it is because we don't want confrontation. Every one of those text messages for me are like, you, are, you did something wrong and you're a bad, bad person. Right? Like that, that's where I go every time. And so whenever I, I'm sort of afraid of confrontation, why am I afraid of confrontation? Because probably I'm going to get rejected right? I don't want to deal with rejection. I've been down that road before. Uh, Someone's going to tell me how wrong I am. Someone's going to kind of get off into how uh, bad of a person I am. And I, that's, I struggle with that. And so there's a fear that builds up. And then if it's not rejection that I struggle with, what is it? Change. Because every confrontation is either going to change the way we interact, cause that person to change or me to change. And 
there's actually business classes. Like Harvard has business classes called change management for a reason. Because change is very hard. And so uh, this morning, I want us to get to a place that as we seek the unity and community, that we are vulnerable, that we can kind of lean into confrontation and not run from it. That, that we can be a people that aren't terrified of rejection because we know that Jesus loves us. This I know. The Bible tells me so. And so therefore, I lean in the confrontation because I know it's going to grow me closer to one another, uh, not further away. And ultimately, we're all, our whole life is about changing and being conformed to the image of Jesus. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. All right, 2 Corinthians, and if you don't have a Bible, and uh, I'll obviously have it on the screen, but if you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere in your vicinity under the seat in front of you. We'd love for you to follow along as we get into God's Word. We're on page 968 in the Bibles that we have on, under the, uh, the black hardbound one. If you don't have a Bible at all, this is our gift to you. All right, let's pray and ask God to bless the preaching and um, reading of His Word. Lord, we thank You. We want to be a people that uh, look to you first and that community would be on our heart. God, we seek you. And we pray that you would rest in us, that we bring rest to others, and that they would see the hope of you in everything that we say and do. We love you, God. You're so good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. Amen. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're not familiar with what happens in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let me do a quick fill you in. So they're doing like a capital campaign in chapter 9 where, they're ra- where uh, uh, Paul, it, who planted the church in Corinth, is raising money for the church in Jerusalem. And so he's mentioned them, hey, listen, I know you guys always give super generously because you're that kind of church. And when I pick up, uh, man, make sure that's all there ready. And then he, he just goes to remind, hey, each one must give what he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you're ever wondering where we got that from, it's this part of the Bible, and we're not going over that part this week. But what's weird is Paul, like, is asking for money, and then immediately after that confronts them in their sin. If, if any, if you're a camp, capital campaign person, in general, you go, hey, ask people for money, and then tell them really nice things. Don't, don't rock the boat. We need the money. Come on. And Paul doesn't play by anybody's rules, but Jesus's. He goes, hey, I know you're generous. Here's what we're, you're going to be giving. I'm really excited about that. And now let me confront you on some sin. Okay. So that's where we're going with this. All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now in this confrontation, he's, he's laying it up for him. I'm coming humbly to you. I'm coming like Jesus would come because I want to come with a thunder, but I'm coming with some Jesus, okay? I think everybody could sort of relate to this. And you're going to see like the, the, the frustration he's feeling is going to come out because he's not going to hide what the problem is. And he goes, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. And he's quoting them. This is in the rumor mill. And this is what I love about the Bible. This is 2,000 years ago, all right? And, um, and people had issues 2,000 years ago with talking about people behind their back, like talking about their leaders behind their back. And so good news, we're still same people, same Bible, still relevant. Now, in fact, someone asked me, what would, if Paul were to write a letter to our church, 
what would he say? He'd probably pull out 2 Corinthians and just say this kind of stuff, all right? Uh, this is it. Because this is, we all struggle here. Here's Paul saying, he's quoting them, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold when, you, when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some, and he's going to bring up the offense that they are saying he has. As some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. In other words, what they're saying is like, you are on a power trip, Paul. All you want to do is tell people what to do. All you want to do is take over and run our lives. And you're just like every other church person. All right, keep moving down. And he's, he's going to explain, verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that, we, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. The same amount of blood it took to save Paul, took to save every one of those Christians at Corinth. Every person here. Jesus didn't take more blood to save me or you. It took the same amount of blood to save all of us. That makes us all equal value to Jesus. And that's hard to remember when you're frustrated with somebody. That Jesus loves that person, died for that person. But that's the way we're to look at other people. Okay, now watch. Let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority. Now, here's what he's going to talk about. Listen, um, I'm excited about the authority that God's given me. I, and his authority is an apostle. An apostle is somebody who had seen Jesus risen from the dead and did some serious miracles. Which would be hard not to brag about. Let's be honest. Saw Jesus, pretty awesome. Let me tell you about that. Uh, hey, and then it was kind of cool. He wasn't, he wasn't a great preacher. He was kind of boring. People would fall asleep, fall out of windows listening to him. And then he'd go downstairs and raise them from the dead. I can't do that, but Paul could do that. It was pretty powerful stuff. And it made it, watching his sermons really interesting. Okay. For even if I boast a little bit too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed about the fact that I saw Jesus. I'm not going to be a fact that God has done incredible miracles through me. But verse 9 is awesome. I do not want to appear to be frightening to you with my letters. In other words, I'm not writing in all caps and in bold uh, so that you guys get freaked out that I'm like bringing the hammer. No, no. I want you to know that I'm coming in love. And this is where they get to the, uh, the rumor mill. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. And I love this. This is the whole emphasis of this uh, next section or this whole section of scriptures that he's present every time he comes and presents himself he doesn't come with strength or great arguments crafted to make people feel dumb you know those people maybe maybe you know those people at work you present them with some sort of problem or your sort of frustration and they go and they slam you because they always have the quick answer and it's you just feel oh, i shouldn't have said anything that's not how paul rolls he doesn't come with any of that in fact uh his speech is of no account let such a person understand that we, that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. In other words, we mean what we write. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Okay, so let me real quick, let me go back here. So the, ne- the next part to all the way to the end of uh, 2 Corinthians 10 is where Paul then talks about how weak he has been and the very things that they were pointing out about him that should disqualify him for being an apostle. Like his life was really hard. Like, I'm sure that you're a good Christian, but 
you know, good things in general happen to good people. And your life has been a train wreck. And he kind of lists off everything. He's like, although he, he lists all his credentials of being a Hebrews or Hebrews, like he was Jewish of all Jewish people, but he'd been shipwrecked. He'd been uh, stoned to death. He had been beaten. He had been imprisoned. He had been through awful things. And, and he didn't charge anybody for preaching the gospel, which everyone's like, isn't that like a lofty thing? Well, no. What people are saying is like, well, you're not, you know, you're not good enough to really get paid. Uh, you know, if, though, if you were my, maybe had a little bit more faith, you were a little bit better of a Christian, then you probably would have gotten shipwrecked or stoned or a lot of the other things that have happened to you. See, pretty much you're a mess. Now, in chapter 11, he's going to say, he's going to get to the, his hardcore point. I wish you'd bear with me in a little foolishness because it's foolish to say to me that for those reasons I've lifted off, I'm not qualified to be an apostle. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. And this is what, he, what he's meaning is like, I love you so deeply that I presented you to Jesus. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. I was presenting you to Jesus to worship him alone, not any other God. But I'm afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In other words, another religion. And he gets into the point. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. But Paul was odd. He was a persecutor of the church, running around killing Christians until one day he met Jesus. And Jesus was like, yo, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And from that point forward, his life was totally changed. And he said, verse 6, even if I'm unskilled in speaking, remember he's not that great of a talker, but he can do some miracles, and he's really smart. Have you read Romans? I am not so in knowledge indeed. In every way we have made this plain to you all things. On my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Now, why? Because in the verses 12, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4, he, he talks about being brought into the very presence of Jesus when he was, what most people think, when he was stoned to death. He was stoned to death. In first service, I said, or I, I said this, and they said, so what you're saying is that to see Jesus, we just have, just have to get stoned? And I was like, no, that's not what I said. All right, so if he gets stoned to death, and you don't actually die, but you have a near-death experience, you, he was caught up before Jesus, saw unbelievable paradise, and he experienced great joy. And so then he's like, I'm not going to boast about that. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. And here's the classic line, it ain't bragging if it's true. Anyway, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. Okay? So no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. In other words, Paul was vulnerable in community with conflict. He's got issues. Paul's got an issue with the church talking people in the church. And when you say church, you're really talking about people, right? Because it's not like church buildings say stuff. And the body of Christ is the bride of Christ. So you don't want to talk about the church. So we're talking about people in the church are talking about Paul. Same, same issues we have today, just 2,000 years ago. And can I just be real with you? I, I know that we all have this problem because I have this problem. 
Uh, here's an example. Um, a couple of weeks, couple weeks ago, uh, Judy uh, Lane Boyer, who, who goes to our church, and she was here at first service that I told the story, and she totally gave me permission to share it. Um, we were working on um, uh, just a, a book type thing together on sex, singleness, and serious relationships. And at one point, Judy was asking about, like, you know, men and women, and I kind of went on a little mini rant I don't know if anybody goes on many rants about singleness and relationships. And I was just talking about how, you know, whenever there's like a, a single guy and then a single girl and they go, look, we're best friends. There's somebody who's lying. You guys know that, right? Like one, one of them is lying. And, and it's like, and the one that usually, no, never. They're the one that's, yeah. All right. So, um, so what happens is that, in that and then when you get married, it's just sort of odd to have, um, you know, like, I have a really great friend. It's a woman. We go to lunches together and dinners together, and it, it looks like dating. It's really awkward. And so I said, in general, what I say is, like, I don't want to put myself in um, another car with another woman that's not my wife because it just just presents a, a, a bad view. Anyway, so I, I kind of was just going off and just saying a bunch of stuff like that. And Judy, like, you know, asked questions. But then, you know, that was it, and we finished and moved on. And, uh, like, a day later or sometime later, uh, she sends me a note that says, hey, I need to meet with you. Uh, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Okay. So we set up a time to meet, and uh, we sit down. I go, okay, this is one of those moments where I know I probably did something wrong or said something wrong. And she goes, well, um, I have something I just need to clarify. What did you mean when you said men and women can't be friends? And I was like, uh, and I'm like thinking real hard, you know, because by that time I've already forgotten everything I've ever said. And, uh, and then so she brought it, went, we went through the whole thing again. And then I was able to say, listen, what I, what I meant was, I'm not saying that the church has a position that men and women are never allowed to ride in cars together. That's not, we're not looking to micromanage people's lives, but a, in a general piece of wisdom that I follow is, and she's like, oh, okay. And then she shared that she had had, um, she grew up in a more of a cult, church experience than a church experience. And so she said that, that she was used to uh, leadership sort of holding draconian authority and micromanaging people's lives. And she said, I couldn't go back to that. And it triggered me. And I was, I just, and, and as she started talking, she's crying in tears. And I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry that I made you feel that way. I didn't know, or, I mean, I knew that, but I didn't realize it was that affecting. And I was so sorry. But here's what, here's what happened. She brought it to me. Because here's what most people do. Can we just be real? Yeah, can you believe Chris? He thinks that um, men and women can't ever ride in cars together. And uh, he's going around enforcing it. And so um, I just don't know what, you know, that's like his whole life. He just sits around waiting for someone to drive around their car so he can write a ticket. So I feel like that's what happens. Like we, we sort of, something festers and you don't talk about it or you, well, you talk about it, just not to the person who may have offended you. And then we just sort of run in this circle of festering anger and frustration. And then all of a sudden we don't ever bring it to light. And then you wonder why people don't like the church because you don't like the church. And, and I guess the, the heart I have for that is Aren't we supposed to be the example of what Christian um, love looks like? Love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. But what happens is we get stuck. And then we call it the church when it's actually a person. And that person hurt us for legit reason. But the beautiful thing about that is that Judy came and said, hey, 
I've been triggered in my past, so this might just be me. She, she led with weakness. And I go, listen, I stick my foot in my mouth all the time, so I may have just said something really ridiculous. And when you lead with the weakness, it, it makes community happen much stronger. And you are endeared to one another, as opposed to sort of arms folded, looking over there, like cutting the eyes, like, I don't know if I trust you. Now, watch this. We're going to keep moving. Because it's not just the, the fear of confrontation that we have. It's the fear of sharing the struggle. Now, watch Paul, and this blew me away. I, I, I feel like if there's any verses that you need to keep fresh on your heart, it's this. So Paul writes, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. And the revelations isn't the book of Revelation, which is singular, by the way. Uh, it was the revelations that he experienced when he was, uh, had the near-death experience, when he was, went into the third heaven. He had an incredible moment with Jesus. He said, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, you, uh, scholars worldwide have debated what this thorn was. Was it his poor eyesight? Was it his poor health? Was it the fact he was single? Was it the fact that he might have been gay? You know, like there's like a whole bunch of different things that people, if you have a theory, some scholar probably backs you up somewhere. We don't know what it was. And you know the beauty of that? It allows everybody in the room to identify because everybody here has some sort of thorn in the flesh. Okay? All right, you have something. And, and, it might, and the, the crazy thing about it, it might not be a sin that's that bad according to culture, but it offends a holy God. And it's something that we need to repent of and maybe it's there to just simply keep you humble. Now, now watch. This, I I think, will be very helpful. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But, hold on. This is Paul asking God for something. Now, listen, this is just for free. I don't know if you've been to, you know, a place of worship or church or something that said, you don't have enough faith. If you can't, if the healing hasn't come, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's where I go, Paul, get more faith, Paul. Paul, the guy who wrote the Bible, the guy that would preach sermons, people die, he'd raise them from the dead, the guy that it would, he'd heal people with his snot rags, like that guy. Don't tell me that someone doesn't have enough faith. In fact, I read somewhere, you have to have the faith the size of a mustard seed to move a mountain. So don't tell me we don't have enough faith. Because clearly, if that's true, then Paul didn't have enough faith. So if you've ever been uh, harassed in that way, like bad circumstances happen, you're like, why is this happening? And someone goes, well, you just didn't have enough faith. Wrong. Uh, That might be that you need to learn verse nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, guy who wrote the Bible, Paul, needed grace. And it was sufficient for him, even when he was told no, whenever he prayed in faith. And this is big, this is big. My grace is sufficient for you, for my powers made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my powers made perfect in weakness. Can everybody say this with me? One, two, three. My 
Thank you. I just need that to be on the tip of your tongue. Because the problem is, I think what we've done in some arenas of Christianity, we've made your faith not enough. And so therefore your weakness wasn't good enough. And it was just the opposite of this. And so I feel like this is the part that Paul then emphasizes. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. No, no, this, this is so big because I, this runs counter-cultural to every religion. Every religion says, like, present your holiness and how great you've been working hard. And you've been, you've been pure. Way to go, pure person. And you, you'd say, oh, that makes sense. Present that. And Paul's like, no, I'm going to present the thorn. The thing that is ugly about me, the thing that I'm embarrassed about, the thing that I don't want people to know. The people, listen, you're a pastor, Paul, cover that stuff up. That's way TMI. Come on, man. And yet, Paul was vulnerable in community with his weakness, even when trying to convince them of an argument of sin. Like he leads with weakness. Why? Because his hope isn't in winning the argument. His hope is in Jesus. And this is why we, listen, and you know this to be true just from living your life. You know this, that when someone shares weakness, it bonds you to them. You ever been around a one-upper? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, man, I just had this great dinner at this great restaurant. It was, and then they get stopped. No, that restaurant, let me tell you about the restaurant I went to. Or I had this great experience at this great uh, concert. Oh, that concert! You should have seen this concert. It was amazing, right? Like we all have had. We've all been around a one-upper. You ever heard uh, Chris? Pre- oh man, you should hear Joseph preach. Okay, all right. No. <laughs> we always have a one-upper, right? And so what that does, a one-upper divides, and what weakness does is unite. Okay, now. So here's how this, this looks in real life. So at my community group, and I've shared this, we have a time of confession and repentance. It's not always like, now everyone confess your sins. It just sort of happens. I'm, I, you can't like conjure it up. It's just like someone says, here's what the Lord's been dealing with me on. And hey, here's my struggle. Confession, dark thing. Everyone comes around, prays over and Nobody gives advice. Like here's three ways to make that a better thing. No one does that. They just pray over him. Um, and what is really powerful in that is there's this sense of community that there's this place where I can be me, fully me, and that I'm being, and it's not okay to be sinful and dark, but it, there's a power that's being prayed over me for freedom. And wh- the place where I really learned this a couple years ago, maybe, a couple, it's like, now, when you say a couple years, you really mean like 15, but whatever. It's, I've, I've now hit that age. You're like, oh, when was that? It was like 15 years ago, whatever. <clears throat> but it made an impact. Like, my memory is like just sealed in that moment. I was, I was in Dallas. I was at a church, a big church, and the pastor stood up, and he's like, hey, I just got this letter from somebody. It's an anonymous letter. It says, I know what you did. He kind of held it up. He's like, huh, they know what I did. Great. You know who else knows what I did? Everybody on my leadership team. And I was like, it floored me 
Because if there was ever a time to blackmail, I mean, like, you could have, like, he could have been like, oh, no, they know about the thing. And now, you know, they were, might have been sneaking. They didn't actually have anything. They're like, oh, we're going to get him to reveal his secrets. But he brought that on stage in just fearlessness. And I was like, what would it take if, if you weren't afraid? Now, think about the skeletons in your closet. Now, don't think too hard. I don't want you to cry or anything. But like, think about the stuff in your past, the things that you've said. The things that you've done. And imagine that coming to light and someone saying, I know what you did. And it ruined your business, career, image. I mean, it, it definitely does happen to Christian celebrity, right? That's, think, Brian Houston and all of Hillsong. Watch your Discovery docuseries. Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll. I mean, like, now you're... It, it happens because there's a place where small sin was never confessed, and small sin unconfessed becomes big sin, okay? That, that made such an impression on me that um, a, maybe like eight years ago, a couple years into leading the church here, uh, I, got a, I got an email from an ex-girlfriend, which just in general always is not good. Uh, <laughs> messenger from Satan to torment me, okay? So, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh man. And, and she brought up all the stuff that I did wrong. And I was, you know, how could I be leading a church and blah, blah, blah. And so I took it first to Adrian. I said, here's the deal. Here's the thing. And oh my gosh, I, I feel awful. And then I took it to my accountability group. And I said, here's my, here's my deal. Here's my thing. And it was like, what's the thing? It was a thorn in my side. Uh, and you'll never know. All right. No, but like uh, that was a thing of like where I told my um, the the men closest to me on the inside there because it was so important that I didn't have anything that could be like hold me under, and it was freedom. It was like f- so freeing. With, and I think this is where I feel like a lot of us struggle is we don't have that kind of freedom. There is stuff in our past. Maybe stuff from last night. There's, there's stuff that's going in us that is just ripping our soul because we haven't been able to process and get to a place of freedom and say, like, I don't care what the world thinks. Here's my thing. Oh, man. When you step into that freedom, the world's not on your shoulders anymore. You can walk and you can enjoy the sunshine and you can see the light. And you see God's presence and enjoy him. And I think for a lot of us, we're so afraid of ever bringing that up to God because the very second we get close, he's going to give us the smitey smiterson. And we're going to get smote. And I think the, the part of that, that that we struggle is we don't trust God because we haven't experienced amazing grace. We've experienced like, I did some stuff and God will probably forgive me because I did a lot on, on my end. No, no, it's, it's not grace. It's amazing grace. So good that you couldn't earn it. So good that you could never do enough. And it's that joy that we step into. And that's why we bring the darkness to the light and it's exposed. And we walk in complete freedom. No shame. Romans 8.1, therefore there is no shame. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. Go to verse 11. We're going to move from this confrontation, the fear of rejection. We're going to now get into what happens now when there's a call to change. How do we do that? Verse 11, I've been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. They needed a 10-year anniversary party for Paul, but all he got was some rumor mill. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, uh, even though I am nothing. 
The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Isn't this true? If you're, if you're not a Christian in general, I'm just saying this is a general truth, that you don't value what you don't pay for. Forgive me this wrong for not teaching you to value. I will most gladly, uh, sorry, for the third time, yeah, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you. Third time. This is like, come on, man. Third time, I'm ready to come to you. This is is not just once. This is twice. He's written a couple letters, and we know that there's about five letters that, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians to correct certain things, and we have two that are extant, meaning they exist, and we know what they are. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. And I love that. He's not seeking to get something from them. He's seeking them. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Can you just feel the love just rip off, Paul? But granting that I myself did not burden you. I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Meaning they convinced him of the gospel so that he could gain something. And Paul's like, what? What did I gain? What money? Did they get a beating for you? Was that what I gained? Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him, which is really uh, advantageous to have Titus sitting front row. Titus, I'll send you and Pax. <laughs> Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along we've been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ and all for your your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may not find me, find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. First century church, planted by the Apostle Paul, had issues. 21st century church has issues. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may, mourn, I may have to mourn over many of those. What do you mean? So how is he going to humble him? He's going to humble him. God's going to humble him by causing him to mourn over those he thought were more mature in Christ. Over those who sinned earlier and not repented of the impurity, the sexual morality, sensuality that they have practiced. And he's saying, listen, guys, repent. It's not, you're not repenting so you can sort of be ushered into the kingdom that you could do something good, but rather <clears throat> it's saying, Jesus, you are the king. I believe what you did for me was sufficient, so I don't have to argue my way out of the sin and the darkness that's in my life. Paul was vulnerable in calling the community to change. This is huge. Now, watch. This, any, anytime there's change, here's how, here's how we change. If you're a workout person, you know this. Brooke, is this true? Brooke, Brooke's here. All right. <clears throat> Brooke is like the workout person of all workout people in here, so I'm going to use her. She's probably like, what is he doing? All right. So Brooke knows this. Brooke knows that you can be convinced that you need to, uh, to work out more to get healthier. And you can be convinced. You can be convinced and you can even be committed. But until there's some sort of person there holding you accountable, you know what you're going to be? 
Convinced and committed, but doing nothing. That's why, let's look, this is where I get dangerous territory. This is why it's hard to lose weight. This is why it's hard to change habits. That's why it's hard to read your Bible. That's why it's hard to do all, that's why it's hard to do anything because you could be convinced and you could be committed, but without accountability, what are you going to do? The same thing you did before, diddly squat. All right, that doesn't mean, now listen to me, that doesn't mean you need, you need grace to be transformed. And the grace is somebody like Paul coming alongside you saying, I'm going to help you change. I want to help you grow. I don't want you to be stuck in the same thing. It's, it's like when you, when you talk to somebody that says, I, I want to change, I want to change, I want to change. And then you have someone said, let me help you take the next step. They're just saying, no, I just want to change. I just want to be in the I want to change mode. And you're like, no, no, you don't understand. I, like, that's Paul. I mean, he's like a, you know, a super church person. But the thing I love about Paul is he's the same guy who wrote the Bible. And in the Bible, he wrote this. I don't understand my own actions. For I don't do what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Anybody else been here? We all been here. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. Okay, good. You've got, you've, you're convinced and you're committed. For I delight in the law of God, my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging against the law of my mind and making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then in wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. I love this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You've been here. This is in the Bible. This guy struggled. Now here, this guy who's been through that is now coming to Corinth saying, listen, I get it. I get you guys. We're, we're the same. Same blood saved you, saved me. I can help you change. It's just going to cause you to be convinced and committed. And then when I show up, we're going to change. And we're going to start living differently. Because you can't have, it is like a weird thing to disconnect what you believe from what you do. It is weird. To live one way. Yeah, I love God. And, you know, listen, Christian sex ethic, that's great. But, you know, it's a little too hard for me. The, the Christian sex ethic, the Christian giving ethic, the Christian serving ethic, the, you name whatever it is. It's not something that you achieve. It's a gift that God has given. But you can't do it unless somebody comes around and says, let me help you. That's the whole point of the gospel truth is that you can't but he can. And guess what? He's got a whole church to help us grow. And so this morning, um, in, like, in light of this, of us wanting to change, I want us to just really wrap our head around this. Like, what is it? And you're like, well, Chris, what's your thing? Okay, can I just tell you my thing? Here's my thing. Um, uh, a while ago, um, we had a, a person leave the church over the fact that I, I, I use deadpan humor. Do you guys know what deadpan humor is? Like, it's, I'm, it's, okay, it's like this. You go to the restaurant, and you eat everything, and they go, how was it? You go, terrible. It's like a dad joke times five, right? All right, and every, every dad has said it, because it's just what you do. And you make fun of your dad for saying it, and then all of a sudden, you become a dad who says it. It's like, I don't, I don't know what happened. I became a dad. It's just like, that's reality. And I'm like, it's terrible. And everyone, like, you know, looks weird. And anyway, uh, all right. And then, or uh, you go up to Joseph, and you, like, squeeze his arm, and you go, like, you need to work out a little. You know, and he loves it when you do that, by the way. Um, or, or, okay, or when Adrian, she goes, how do I look? And I go, terrible. 
That doesn't go over the same, uh, <laughs> apparently. And so, I, you know, I thought I was being so funny because, like, you know, of course, you'd know, I think you're beautiful and amazing and all the things, but she didn't think it was funny. Anyway, so you, you take that, that joke because it's funny in, at the restaurant. It's funny when you squeeze Joseph's arm, but not funny uh, when Adrian's looking in the mirror and not funny when someone is asking sort of a serious question. You kind of flip an answer and it's deadpan humor and they're like, I never want to talk to you again. And so, you know what, I, so I, I was like, here's my weakness. I do deadpan humor, and it doesn't go over well all the time. And so every week, Robert Sass, uh, our elder chairman, he asked me, so have you used deadpan humor? I'm like, oh, gosh, yeah, a couple times. And I'm sorry. And now I catch myself. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, that was actually a joke. I didn't actually mean anything, because the whole point of deadpan, you don't, like, give up the fact that you were joking, or else it, the joke doesn't fly. And then people hate you. So in general, I'm now learning, you know, I'm learning and growing here uh, in that. And so I feel like that, so everybody has something like that. It might be the Christian sex ethic. It might be your rudeness that once was a character quirk because you had a dad who always said deadpan humor. And then it becomes a character flaw when you don't recognize it and you're not using it and being astute to the emotional cues you're getting from people. Like, I think I'm hurting that person. So what is it for you? And then the question ultimately that I, I want to start land on is are you pursuing unity through leading with your weakness through vulnerability? And are you vulnerable enough to say, I want to change? You can be convinced. You can be committed. But until there's accountability, you'll never change. And that accountability is, is, is a part of grace, not something you earn. It's what you do when you are saved, not to be saved. In fact, one of the things I, I want to re- remind ourselves is that we could do nothing to earn our salvation, that Jesus came and he died on that cross and he rose from the dead and our hope is found in him. In fact, the night before he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Our souls feed on Jesus like our stomachs feed on bread. Today we're going to remember that. When you pull off a chunk of this bread and then you dip into the wine. Wood for wine, glass for grape juice. That night that before Jesus was betrayed, he... uh, the cup said this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin do this in remembrance of me and they drank not really fully knowing that the significance that Jesus would drink the wrath of God for us he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God so this morning as our uh, communion team comes up, um, the, the question I want you to wrestle with and might make right before you come up is, God, am I pursuing unity? Is there someone I have conflict with that I need to reach out to before I go and take communion? Or if you're not a Christian, don't, don't take communion. That's just not what, non, it's weird to take part of a Christian ritual that's not your thing or an ordinance. 
But if today is the day you came to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and he rose from the dead, you are welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper. I want you to remember what he did for you. And if you are a Christian, as you take it, just think back to that day you were saved. Think back to the joy that you had. Think back to when you understood that he came and he died and he rose and your hope is not based on anything you can do, but it's fully focusing on the resurrection power of Jesus. That's my hope for you this morning. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so grateful that you are doing something spectacular in the lives of everybody here. And God, I'm praying that you would bless um, somebody here who doesn't know you that's far from God. And Jesus, I pray that you reveal yourself, that they open up their heart and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you, thought, word, action. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Make me the person you want me to be. And they would come and take part of communion for the first time. Or God, I'm praying that somebody here who's been wrestling with the darkness, they've been confessed to you fully to feel the freedom of forgiveness and then come and receive communion. Lord, help us to walk as you've called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Imagine just for a second what would happen if you took just a new look at the way that you deal with church people, Christians, as those whom Jesus died for, and you leaned into confrontation and didn't run for it for fear of rejection or that you might have to change. Imagine how that would change the way you interact with your spouse, the way you interact with your family, the way that you interact with church and the way you interact with that world. It would change this city. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people lean into confrontation who lead with weakness and vulnerability. Go and be a people who are seeking oneness and unity within community. Go and push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.